Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, we'll be uh, just reading again the first seven verses, but this time going into the eighth, which is what uh, we are really looking at this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, I begin reading from verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And then our text for this morning. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We'll continue because it's one sentence. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, brethren, we have been looking at the book of Ephesians under the theme of uh, the celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. We've taken quite a while, but we have finally arrived at the place where the phrase itself is found, which is what we're looking at in verse 8, and we shall soon be appreciating that. But the theme was quite deliberate because I want us to not so much get bogged down with the riches of the doctrines that we find there, but to capture something of the atmosphere in which the Apostle Paul was writing. And it was an atmosphere of genuine rejoicing, especially, remember, that we are dealing with a person who is in prison. And a Roman prison might be a little bit like Mukoweko prison, as you would understand. It's not a place where you have um, niceties and comforts and perhaps a very nice, huge, flat screen for you to be able to watch DSTV and so on. It would have been a very miserable place. And yet, as you read this, you can see that you easily forget that the person who's writing is in prison because he is preoccupied with greater truths. What he calls here now 
the unsearchable riches of Christ. But thankfully, he does state it in verse 1 of this passage we looked at. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. We've seen how, although Paul begins this thought wanting to lead into prayer, he breaks off and begins to speak a lot more about himself. Not so much that we might feel sorry for him, but about himself explaining how he is in prison and yet in such a way that we should not be feeling sorry for him. That as he is suffering, it is part of this calling that he has received as one who is a preacher of the gospel. Now last week, we saw how Paul saw himself in this overall agenda of God across history, the agenda of salvation. He said, of this gospel, I was made a minister or a servant. Notice, I did not take this upon myself. God made me to be that which I am. How? Well, he answers there, it was through or in according, accordance to the gift of grace which we'll spend a bit of time looking at this morning. But it doesn't end there. We saw last week that he ended with answering another how. And he says, it is by the power of God. He uses the phrase, which was given me by the working of his power. His incredible power. That's how come I am who I am. Um, this morning, we take a deeper dive into this, but especially to, to capture the way in which Paul felt that he was privileged in an extraordinary way to be a preacher of the gospel. He was amazed that God should use him for that which he was now doing. Last week, I mentioned the fact that the church of Jesus Christ becomes poorer when it loses sight of this fact that God calls men to be preachers. He does. And once the church loses sight of that, and all we begin to do is because a person wears a trousers, therefore let's put him in the pulpit, at least he's got something to say. He's got some diction that is able to express himself through. The church only becomes poorer. It shrivels. And in the end, it loses something of its energy to capture the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when a church recognizes this reality that God calls men to be preachers, the church prioritizes the training of preachers, internship for preachers, the setting apart of preachers as missionaries, sending them out. The church puts a lot of 
energy and effort and money there, and the effect can easily be seen. Today, I'm moving from the church, recognizing to the individual himself. And hence the title of my sermon, The Least Saint Turned Into a Preacher. The Least Saint Turned Into a Preacher. Let me try and put it this way. God uses individuals in a remarkable way. Under normal circumstances, they ought to be proud as a result of it. They ought to be. But the thing that keeps them away from any sense of pride is the recognition, I am utterly unworthy. Completely unworthy. This is an extraordinary privilege that I am given. And this is what Paul does for us here. Let's quickly look at this in the 8th verse. First of all, when God calls a man to be a preacher, it is not because the person is worthy of the call. And here, Paul looked at himself and listened to him. Verse 8. To me, he says, though I am the very least of all the saints. The actual phrasing there is a little different from the English Standard Version. What the phrase Paul uses there is this, that I am less than the least of all the saints. Less than the least. And some of you, your versions may be putting it that way. But I can well understand why ESV and others use the phrase the very least of all the saints. Because strictly speaking, to say less than the least is uh, not quite English, you see. Because the least is the least. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You've hit rock bottom. So there's nothing there anymore. When you say I'm the least, that's it. But Paul is bringing out the way he feels that, that to say the least is, is not adequate. So he goes into superlatives. He, he, he goes further and hence comes up with a phrase that really is, ought not to make sense. I am less than the least. When you get to zero, you haven't reached me yet. You have to go into the negatives to finally find me. That's where I find myself. The best commentary for this is First Timothy. So let's just quickly turn there. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 down to verse 17. Verse 12 down to verse 17. I'll begin with just the last verse in the previous paragraph to give us the context. He says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So he's bringing 
as exactly where we find him in Ephesians. With that thought that I am a faithful steward of this which God has given me. And immediately it sends him back to that position where he begins to process himself in the midst of this reality. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And then he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. It is those three aspects of the way in which Paul lived prior to God calling him to salvation and calling him to this specific role as an apostle that, that made Paul sense his utter unworthiness. He recalled, recalled the fact that at one time he, he used to drag the name of Jesus Christ in the mud. He, he, he said no words that befitted the crown rights of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To him, Jesus was an imposter. And therefore the cult around him was one that was utterly, completely degraded. And it was because of that view that he then became a persecutor. And we know the way in which he finally was arrested by Jesus Christ himself and consequently brought to salvation. It was while he was on his way to go and get believers arrested. We know the account where he watched Stephen being stoned to death. And he was there giving approval to one of Christ's choice servants as he was offering up his spirit to God. Paul was saying, as we would say in our vernacular language, Chamu Chenjesha. He's now paid for it and so forth. And off he went to go and make the lives of other saints of God miserable. He describes himself further in terms of the attitude that he had as he was witnessing the suffering of believers. And he uses the phrase, I was an insolent opponent. An insolent opponent. In other words, it's a person who's become so hard-hearted, so callous, that when he is seeing a person suffering, he's not moved at all. Not moved. It's the kind of hatred that finds a sense of fulfillment when the enemy is weeping and screaming and in the process expiring. So try and imagine a situation where you are brought before such an individual 
And he says to whoever has brought you there, we'll start cutting him limb by limb. And as these guys with either an axe or a sword begin doing so, you would think that as you scream in pain, the person is going to say, okay, stop it. But no, he doesn't. He instead just looks with a hard face until finally you die. And Paul is saying, that was me. That was me. An insolent, hard-hearted opponent to believers, to Christians. And then he says there, but I received mercy. Are you seeing this? This is why the Apostle Paul is able to speak in terms of being the least of the least of the saints of God. Because I act ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom... I am the foremost, of whom I am the worst. That's the way Paul felt concerning himself. That if you were to, to grade sinners, and they've all arrived in heaven, all the ransomed sinners have arrived in heaven, and you go to the very end to to the worst sinner, the darkest sinner, the one with, with crimson hands, hands that are red with blood. He says, that's where you find me. I am the worst. And guess what? I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. I've been accepted. I've been brought in. And he says, verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, today, no sinner should be able to say, no, 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 not me. He might forgive you. Yes, maybe you, but not me. Paul is saying, hang on, hang on. Do you know me? <laughs> Do you know me? Because if you know who I am and that God in Christ has had mercy on me, I don't care what it is that you've done in your life. It does not put you beyond God's saving grace. But Paul is also saying, it does not put you beyond God's calling grace. Because this is what he has done for me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul again speaks about himself in these words. 1 Corinthians 15, but this time we'll just look at two verses, verse 9 and verse 10, speaking about Jesus revealing himself to those who were his disciples and more specifically to those whom he ordained to be apostles. So verse 9 says, Maybe I'll begin from verse 7. Then he appeared to James, 
than to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And here it is. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul never forgot where God called him from. A persecutor. One who certainly was utterly unworthy to now be called in his service. Brethren, I've been preaching in the evening services on Jonah. Last Sunday, I was talking about the God of second chances. Jonah, who proved a terrible failure, terrible failure in ministry. And yet God comes back to him and says, Jonah, go. I'm giving you work to do. And I mentioned the fact that often we tend to dismiss ourselves. We tend to put ourselves on the shelf. We tend to say, I've blown it. Totally blown it. And therefore, God cannot use a person like me. Well, today, we have literally the same theme, but now it's Paul. What a background he is coming from. And Paul is saying, I don't ever forget that. What made the difference? Well, Paul goes on to say, it is grace. Back to our text. It is grace. Since we are totally unworthy of a calling like this to be preachers of the gospel, we should see that when God calls anyone into the work of preaching, it is by grace. Totally by grace. Look at our text, verse 8. To me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now, I have mentioned before, I want to say it again, that this grace is not just for those who are called to the work of preaching. So let me take you back to the passage that we've looked at a few times before, Romans 12. Romans 12. I want us to see that every child of God is given a gift of service. And it's a grace gift. It is a gift of grace to enable each one of us to serve within the body. And all Paul is doing here is referring to that with respect to himself. But that doesn't mean the rest of us should simply be watching and saying, okay, because I don't have the grace of the calling to be a preacher, therefore for me, I'm just a pure warmer. That's why I'm taking you back again to Romans 12. Listen to this. Beginning with verse 3. 
For by the grace given me, which is the same grace he's talking about, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. And that again is the display of that grace. Each one of us assigned differently. So let's not pretend that God has not assigned for me any role to play within the church except to simply sit and attend church services. He goes on to say, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function, so we Though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So he's using the picture again of the human body. The human body has hands and feet and mouth and ears and legs and so on. We've got all these different parts of the body and each part has a function to play. The fact that you are not a mouthpiece doesn't mean you've got nothing to offer. And therefore, he puts it this way. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. There it is. So, you have been given that grace. I have been given that grace. That sister there and that brother there has been given the grace different measures of faith so that we are all enabled to play our different roles. And just in case you are thinking what that looks like, Paul gives a few examples. Remember, these are but a few examples. Let's read them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I'll keep coming back to this because I don't want us to ever think that when Paul is now using himself as an example, obviously in the context of preachers of the gospel, that the rest of us are mere spectators on a kind of paid holiday, just watching what's going on. And as long as we find ourselves in heaven, it's good enough. No, he's gifted us as well. By grace, we too must be saying... I am unworthy of this role that is given me in the context of his church. Well, Paul has, back to our text, been using this phrase over and over again. We saw it in verse 2, chapter 3 and verse 2, when he said, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So God has given something to me and I am using it 
in order to be a blessing to all of you. And then the verse we also looked at last week, which is verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. You see, brethren, this is why in the Christian church, we don't fight, or at least we ought not to fight for positions and roles. We don't. The reason is quite simple. It's because it's not what I want to do and what I want to be in the church. It is what God in Christ has assigned to me and assigned to that brother and assigned to that sister. And he does so sovereignly. He doesn't do it in answer to our prayers. Eh? So that the Lord come on. I think I should be the next one to take over this pulpit. You know, Lord, please give me that gift. There's nothing like that. Nothing like that. God, in his own sovereign way, deals with us as individuals. And as he's dealing with us as individuals, we are responding to, to that which he is doing in our lives. We are finding ourselves in just the right place among God's people to serve him. And in that way, we become like a well-oiled machine. We become like an army that is well-trained. Each one of us seeking to do that which by grace he has been empowered to do. And we rejoice in that. If the grace that God has given me is to be not just a leg, but a foot in the body of Christ, I'm happy. I'm happy now. That's, that's what he's given me to do. And I'll, I'll put in my everything there. My everything. And I, I praise him for that. Because that's what he has assigned me to do. If he's, he's made me a, an arm, again, I praise him. I will play that role with all the responsibility that goes with it in this body. Because I recognize I don't deserve to even be part of this body. I don't. The only thing I deserve is in a place called hell. That's all. And yet, by his grace, he has called me to this. To the Apostle Paul, therefore, when he says... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me. The word amazing should really be added to that grace. Bear in mind, he's saying, this is who I am. The least of the least of the very least. I don't even deserve to be numbered among God's people. Let alone among the apostles. I don't even deserve it. I am overwhelmed, he's saying, by this overflowing, superabundant grace 
that first of all saved me, saved me, and then called me to serve him in this particular way. I am amazed. But lastly, what is the most staggering about this call to be a preacher for Paul, and I suppose for all of us, is the message that has been given. The message that has been given. Paul was amazed that he was called to preach. Let's go back to the text. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's touched on it already when he said in verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's something like this. If, if I sent you to go and tell your friends to come to my home for afternoon tea, and then I send your friend to go and call his friends to Birmingham Palace or Buckingham Palace for afternoon tea. You would be complaining to me, saying, why don't we swap places? Because you know that afternoon tea at my home, apart from the tea itself, it's candolo. So people will have to start preparing for dinner at their homes before they come for my tea. But tea at Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Women will be carrying extra handbags. You understand, eh? Where well, each time they take something, put it on their plate, they look around, and they take five into the ham. <laughs> because they know that this is inexhaustible. This is, they'll take and take and take, and more and more will still keep coming out. So they might as well take as much as they possibly can. So what Paul is saying here is that the glory of that which God has brought him to is to, to speak about this unsearchable riches of Christ. The word unsearchable there, as I've said before, is not in terms of you can't search it out, but you can't search it out exhaustively. It is immeasurable. That's the point that is referring to it. It is bottomless. It is unfathomable. It, it, it's, it's beyond 
human computation. The riches of Christ that he has now said, even you Gentiles, here. It's all yours. Rejoice in it. Feed upon it. All the way from the, the forgiveness of sin that we, we experience in Christ. Going on to our being adopted into God's family. The, the, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The, the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the being united to Christ so that we, we are one with him. Refer to, to the peace that God gives. Peace with him, peace within, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Every conceivable sense of peace is that which God in Christ has given to us. Earlier on in, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul was speaking about this knowledge and wisdom of God that he gives to us as his people. Again, all that is part of these blessings and blessings, the, the richness, the riches that God gives to his people. I think in terms of the eternal hope that he gives to us. It's not one that is left to chance when the Lord has saved us, we will get to heaven. It is a solid hope. Throw in the gift of his word that he has given to us. That each one of us can know his mind. We can have this compass as we are going through this life. Throw in the church, the family of God that he gives to us. That you can go to any place on the planet where the people of God are and you find your family there. Your family, the family of God, all given to you that they might be a means of blessing to you. Well, even human suffering becomes an instrument in God's hand. A means of our sanctification. So nothing is being excluded from this. And then finally, heaven itself. Where imagination is beggared. We, we cannot even begin to comprehend what lies ahead of us. In the words of Jesus, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. Was the older versions would put it, there are many mansions in my father's house. I'm going to prepare this place for you. And so on. And then when you compare all that to where you are coming from, the one place you deserve to be, in the flames of hell, burning forever, surely you should be able to say these are unsearchable riches. Bottomless riches. And here's what Paul is saying. That God has called me to declare this. Eh? I can understand people falling over each other to announce 
tea at Buckingham Palace. I can understand. But it pales into utter insignificance when you now try to comprehend that which God has prepared for his people. And I'm, say, I'm told, go preach it. Go proclaim it. Let them know, not just the Jews, go to the Gentiles and tell them as well that this is your feast as well. It's yours. He's elected you in eternity. He has atoned for your sin in time. He has brought you in by the work of his Holy Spirit. Go in there with your handbag times 20. You know what I mean? Arrive there with a container. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking it all in. Taking it all in. It's what God has prepared for me, for time, and for all eternity. This is why, brethren, I, I cannot understand preachers who abandon that and they go into motivational speaking. Eh? How? They just start talking about just money. Eh? A fat bank account. What's that? Compared to this. As the hymn writer says, pardon for sins and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and 10,000 besides. Overwhelmed by that, great is thy faithfulness. Well, brethren, I hope you see how God brings these unsearchable riches to us. He still calls preachers. He still does. He, he, he calls them so that they might give up whatever other earthly callings they may have had, so that they might hold this with both hands, that this might be th their utter fulfillment in life, to live, to serve, to suffer, and even to die for the sake of this glorious message that all may hear and know about this Deep, bottomless, divine wealth that God shares with his elect people. Paul felt it in his soul. Especially when he realized where he was coming from. And all those who are in this category, therefore, will feel the same way. How can I be proud like this? How? How? It is all by sovereign grace. How can I start thinking there was something special about me? The only thing special about me is the place called hell. That's where I deserve to be. But the fact that he should call me from among my brothers and sisters and say, set apart everything. Go and proclaim this glad tidings 
It's of grace and of grace and of grace. May I end with a simple illustration, and I hope it makes sense to you. We often think of Africa as large. And it is. But think of Africa now in terms of the entire planet. It becomes rather small compared to the rest of the planet. But think of this planet as part of the solar system. Suddenly, you get, you're getting rather small and smaller and smaller. Think in terms of the sol our solar system now as part of the galaxy in which we are. And then think in terms of this entire universe. It defies any human imagination. Let me tell you this. The God who has made this universe is the God who says, now I have an even greater plan for those of you who are my people in these unsearchable riches of Christ. How does a preacher start saying, I've run out of gospel material now, let me look for something else? How? There's so much. There's so much. And especially when you look at where he got you from as a preacher and where he wants to take you and he's saying, share these things with the brethren. Share. A preacher will feel, you know what? If I had a thousand lives, I'd want to give all of them to us. All of them. I've gone from being the least to being a preacher. As Moses says, I wish all the brothers would be prophets. I wish all of them. That's how glorious it is. May it be even as we sing and closing hymn that we, we move away from the preacher himself. And we move to Christ and his unsearchable riches. May that satisfy our souls. Amen.